When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome inside another episode of the Gin Jag Podcast. Week 11 is upon us, and with that, the undefeated Steelers are coming to town. I'm Jordan DeLugo, joined as always by Jeremy Markoski, who's joining us today. Despite having a big day coming up this weekend in his life, he's squeezed out an hour or so to hang out with us today. How you doing, Jeremy? Doing good, man. Anything for the people, man of the people, and uh, do anything to uh, squeeze some time in for the Jaguars fans that listen. Awesome. Yes. If you did not know, Jeremy's getting married this weekend, tying the knot. So uh, go give him some congratulations on Twitter at Jeremy Markoski. Uh, today, we'll look back at the loss to the Packers. Um, in week 10, look ahead to the matchup with the Steelers. And of course, we will get into some draft talk. We're going to talk about some potential options for the Jaguars in the draft after they take care of their number one need, which is, of course, quarterback. want to remind everybody to check out GenJag.com to keep up with all the latest Jaguars news and analysis and to get all your Duval merch. Uh, we just dropped that bleed teal tea last week that's been selling quick you can go check it out again that's ginjag.com and of course thank you to bold city brewery make sure to check them out at their downtown location on east bay street and at the riverside tap room on roselle so before we take a look at jaguars and packers and what all went down in green bay last week i want to take a look here at a couple little notes uh reddit user and ugly man who's a Jaguars fan apparently, reached out to other subreddits yesterday, I believe, to try to get fans from other teams, primarily fans of the Lions, Packers, and Bears, to vote Unique Ngakwe into the Pro Bowl. Why did he do that? We've talked about it on the show. The conditional fifth-round pick in 2022 that the Vikings sent to the Jaguars, one of the conditions for that pick to move up to a fourth-round pick would be Unique Ngakwe making the Pro Bowl, even though Unique Ngakwe is no longer a Minnesota Viking. The Vikings would still have to pony up for that. So, of course, Pro Bowl voting. Uh, the NFL allows fans to get on there and just vote away as many times as they want. So Lions, Packers, Bears, they're not fans of the Vikings. They hate the Vikings. So go on and vote is what uh, an ugly man from Reddit brought up. I hate repeating this guy's name over and over again, his username. But uh, 
crazy idea. It just might work. And now the Jaguars fans are behind it. Everybody's just mass voting Unique Ngakwe into the Pro Bowl. Who might he might have ended up making the Pro Bowl on his own accord, just with the play that he's had this year. He's got five sacks, a couple forced fumbles. But what do you make of this storyline, Jeremy? I love it. It's one of the funniest things that I've seen in a while. Um, and and obviously anything that goes the way of the Jaguars, I'm all for. So the fact that the internet is this beautiful thing where you can come together in your hatred for a specific sports team, obviously it favors the Jaguars for this to happen. And like you said, uh, Green Bay, the Bears, the Lions, uh, all those guys up there, I'm sure hate the Vikings uh, just as much as we do in this given situation. So just the fact that this is even surfacing is is absolutely hilarious to me. Um, and the fact that it's become a big of a story as it is, the fact that it might actually gain some traction and it might actually just work is absolutely crazy. I think the NFL will have to uh, take into account going forward that fan vote, especially when they see this kind of coming into play. But I love it. I think it's hilarious. I think anytime that you can muster up the power of the fans to really make what I would consider a pretty seismic change. I mean, that going from a fifth round pick to a fourth round pick, just strictly off basically fan interaction to me is huge. So I think it's hilarious. I love it. And kudos uh, to an ugly man on Reddit. Yeah. Unbelievable that, you know, a fan's idea could potentially help his team get more draft capital. It's just unbelievable. And the NFL will have to look at that. I love it. You know, it's great. Of course, like the Jaguars fans strike again. Congratulations to Duval. Uh, always, always making headlines for some reason. And yeah, the story is all over the national media. So it's great to see that really funny, entertaining stuff. But gosh, yeah, if you're, a, if you're the owner of the Vikings or you know, whatever other NFL team and you see this, how frustrating would that be? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? the, the NFL is going to have to look at this and probably revamp the Pro Bowl voting process. because this Of is- course, the NFL and the Vikings knew the Pro Bowl voting process when they made this deal. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's not it's- like some like out of left field thing that's happening where the Vikings didn't know fans could vote on it. They did know that. Yeah, that's been known, but I don't. This has never, this has never happened before. Like we're touching completely not uncharted. To my record. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, this is something that with the new age of internet and how much it honestly has become the tool that it is over the past four or five years. You know, this this probably wouldn't have been possible five years ago. Um, I mean, really, just you see it now more than ever. The influence, the power that the internet has, that social media has, and it's just going up continuously and this is playing into that it's unlike anything i've ever seen the nfl is obviously going to want to sit down and look at this but uh yeah just it's, it's hilarious for the vikings who in my opinion have completely fumbled the yawn situation worse than the jaguars even did so uh you know what I'm, I'm all for it let's go ahead and get that fourth round pick i love it an impressive feat by the vikings it really was trade for unique and gakwe get shafted on the trade only a few months later when they got comparable value, not as good a value when they traded him to the Ravens, of course. But then this blowing up in their face. Yeah, it wasn't even close. Gotta love it. They didn't even they didn't yeah. even recoup everything they gave away. They definitely lost right. a little bit. I mean, like you said, it's it's. I wouldn't say it was a huge amount of value, but they lost a little bit of value. The margin was definitely not in their favor. So, I mean, they fumbled it worse than the Jaguars. Yeah, and then I mean, if the Ravens win the Super Bowl, my goodness, 
bump up to a third round pick. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Some, but the Ravens got to put it together, man. I know we're not talking about the Ravens, but they got to put it together because uh, they did not look great yeah. the night. But yeah, like conditional pick. Also, you know, if they win the Super Bowl, it, it moves up to a third round pick. So um, I'd love to see that as well. I mean, how, how awesome would that be? <laughs> uh, and then James Robinson, ESPN just released their rookie rankings, and he is sixth behind Herbert, Burrow, Jefferson, Wirfs, and Young. Uh, I don't think that there is a rookie playing better than Tristan Wirfs. So I'm fine with him being in front of Robinson. I'm fine with Herbert there because he's lighting the world on fire. 19 touchdown passes in just the few games that he started. And then um, the other three, Joe Burrow, Justin Jefferson, Chase Young, I think there's a legitimate gripe to be had for James Robinson potentially you know, earning a spot higher than those three. Burrow's been impressive, but not really lighting the world on fire, not really guiding his team to many wins there. You see the talent, but he's not really putting it all together yet. Justin Jefferson, he's been very good, no doubt about it. A very explosive receiver, very steady receiver for the Vikings. And then Chase Young, I mean, he's been playing good football, but he only has three and a half sacks. So I think all three of those guys, you could argue James Robinson's better than right now. But look at the positions those guys play. You've got a quarterback, a wide receiver, and a defensive end. James Robinson's an undrafted free agent. People just don't care, and he plays running back. It's it's total media bias, and there's no other way to put it. And every time I see this resurface, it really kind of gets me a little angry, the same way it did back when Maurice Jones-Drew should run Rookie of the Year, and uh, I think it was Vince Young that year beat him out, and I, I think that was still a poor decision back then. But this is even worse, and I'll tell you why. James Robinson, as an undrafted rookie, not a first-round pick, which all those other guys uh, are first-round picks, an undrafted rookie is in the top four in the league in total scrimmage yards, not top four for rookies, top four total in the league for scrimmage yards up there with Kamara, and I think it was Derrick Henry. I can't remember who the third one was, but that just speaks to the type of year that he's having. And if you want to look at it and say, oh, well, you know, the Jaguars don't win. The Chargers only have two wins. The Bengals only have two yeah, wins. Yeah, most of these teams are winning I mean, games. Yeah, it's, it's absolute nonsense. None of them are, really, except for the Buccaneers for Tristan Wirfs. And, and no offense to Tristan Wirfs, yes, he's playing absolutely amazing but I don't think he has the impact on his team that James Robinson is having for the Jaguars. Yes, I get it. They're one and eight, but they're in a lot of, you know, a lot of these games. They've been in some of these games. Obviously there's a stretch there where they were getting blown up, but there's a very good argument to be made that without James Robinson, this team would be Oh, and nine. And some of these games would not have even been relatively close. I think he's had a more impact on his team than some of these other players have Herbert. You can make an argument for the 19 touchdowns. He's been electric. He has completely, you know, changed the narrative on him coming out of the draft. You know, he, he was not even being looked at at maybe being one of the top three quarterbacks. I think that, you know, he had the most question marks surrounding him and he's answering all those questions and he's playing fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but again, only two wins. And I know a lot of that comes down to coaching. Anthony Lynn has made some very questionable decisions late in games. They've blown leads. I get that. But that should be taken into consideration as well. Like, I really don't see the negative marks on James Robinson besides the fact that you want to say the Jaguars are a one-win football team. That's really all it is. No, yeah, he he doesn't have any negative marks. You're right. 
but that's the way of the world with first round picks with uh, positional bias. It just is what it is. I understand it. I do think he should be in front of Burrow, Jefferson, and Young right now. Of course, I get that he's not because A, they play in bigger markets. B, they're first round picked with the huge name associated to them. And, you know, that's just the way, way the NFL works, unfortunately. But the fact that he is number six, he is getting some respect. Gotta love it. But he is outplaying a few of those guys. Now, moving on to some injuries that we need to keep an eye on this week. Brandon Linder, he is expected back this week. He practiced in a limited capacity today. Doug Marone said he expects to have him back. Great news for the Jaguars as they're going to face one of the best front sevens in football. We'll talk about that more. Doug Costin, he is back from concussion protocol. Missed last week after getting his first start against the Texans, playing very well there on the defensive interior next to Devon Hamilton. LaVisca Chenault is not practicing Wednesday. Uh, He's got the hamstring. He's considered questionable, according to Doug Marone. We'll see how that all plays out. Uh, Of course, he missed last week and missed much of the game prior with that hamstring injury. Chris Thompson, he's headed to IR, the Jaguars' third down running back. So you could see some more Dari Agumbawale or Divina Zigbo this week in that capacity. Agumba Wale did get on the field as a running back last week for the Jaguars, caught a pass or two. Gardner Minshew, he's thrown on air to receivers, but will not be ready to go in week 11. So we've got another week of Jake Luton. So yeah, that's pretty much it for the injury report at this point. If anything happens later in the week, you can check our Twitter or my Twitter, at Jordan DeLugo or at Generation Jag. Of course, Jeremy will retweet when he's not busy doing wedding activities this weekend uh but yeah that's pretty much it for the injuries at this point yeah i don't really see anything there that's gonna really cause too much concern um obviously you know you you got some guys coming back that are really gonna help you out this week um linder and hamilton um you know definitely want to see linder on the field at all times he's your best offensive lineman hands down there's no question about it um and devon hamilton man the rest of this year is going to be Costin. I'm sorry, Doug Costin. You're right. <laughs> the rest, you're good, the you're rest good. of this year is going to be huge for Costin coming off that concussion protocol. Um, he's he's going to need to prove why he should have a spot on this team going forward. And there are glaring holes on the interior defensive line. We know that. We've seen that. It's nothing new. Um, and the way he played last week really kind of um, put some notice on himself and and on you know what he can do for this defense so it's really important that he gets out there and get some tape um you know for this team to really evaluate him going forward yeah yeah so i i totally agree with you getting linder out there is huge again i mean it might not matter against such a excellent steelers front four and front seven getting costin though in there is exciting just because He's a young guy, and the next few weeks, you just really want to be able to evaluate what he is and what he can be for your team, potentially at the three-technique spot. So getting him back in the lineup, seeing what he can do, evaluating him against a very good Steelers offensive line and offense as a whole, that'll be great to see. And, uh, of course, Jake Luton, another week of Jake. We'll talk about him more when we get into the Steelers preview. But let's go ahead and jump into Jaguars at Packers recap. Of course, the Jaguars fell 24 to 20. I just want to give a quick shout out. We usually don't talk that much about special teams. The Jaguars special teams units were electric on Sunday. 
Chase McLaughlin, who they had just signed from the Vikings practice squad, another win for the Jaguars over the Vikings there, nails a 52-yarder to start the game, ended up 2 of 2 on field goals, 2 of 2 on extra points. Punter Logan Cook, he had six punts, one down inside the four, one inside the two, one inside the seven. I mean, he put on a show punting the ball. And then Keelan Cole had a 91-yard punt return for a touchdown, the longest punt return of the NFL season. He also found the end zone on offense. Uh, I mean, what can you say about this special teams unit? Absolutely electric, just like you said. I mean, that really goes to show how important a special teams unit can be in a game. And obviously, that's always said. You know, no one ever says, oh, the special teams, they mean nothing. Some people do, but but it's always kind of harped on in the back of everyone's mind of how important special teams can be, whether you see it or not. And I think you saw it this weekend because you saw a team who obviously by all accounts on paper is not a very good football team, a team that, you know, everyone expected the Packers just to roll through and blow them out. But the special teams was so vital because they scored points. You got that punt return from Keelan Cole that obviously helped. They didn't leave any points on the field. McLaughlin was two for two on field goals, two for two on extra points. There were no gaps in scoring. Um, And then again, you're flipping the field. Statistically speaking, the longer an offense has to work the field, the less likely it is for them to get that far. How many times do you see offenses start with the ball inside the 10 and go 90 plus yards for a touchdown? That's a long drive. You very rarely see that happen. I mean, that's just not something that statistically is very probable. So when you take all that in consideration, the special teams, helped the Jaguars stay in this game and probably almost single-handedly kept that team in this game because the offense didn't play all that well. Right. Um, And we mentioned Keelan Cole had that 91-yard touchdown, found the end zone himself again on offense. He caught five of his six targets. He's been such a solid performer and a guy the Jaguars are going to really have to make some decisions about this offseason. He's in a contract year. Do they try to retain him? How much money can they pay him? How much money would he make on the open market? will be interesting to see how did Jake Luton, the guy throwing him the ball perform in this one from, uh, from your standpoint, not terrible, but I think we're starting to see his limitations as well. Um, you saw some questionable decisions again. Um, you saw him take two very poorly timed sacks there at the end of the game. And something I'm starting to see from, from Jake is that, you know, unfortunately when it comes down to crunch time, he's not, able to get it done and we've had two back-to-back weeks where he's had a chance with the ball in his hands to go down there and win a game and he may not have I'm sorry Gardner may not have the physical things that Luton has the size the arm strength that kind of stuff but one thing that Minshew did have was electricity and and spunk and fire and and in those times and games where you needed a play um, and, you know, in the pocket broke down or, you know, he had to go make a play. He did. And, and Luton kind of looked like a statue back there, took two sacks. It, his playmaking ability is not necessarily there. The raw talent, the physical talent is there, but the playmaking ability is not there yet. So you obviously, you know, see where, where Minshew fares a little bit better in those situations. Um, but overall, you know, it wasn't great. wasn't terrible. Um, you know, protected the ball somewhat. Obviously, you know, we had some issues there and turnovers are going to get you if it becomes a problem. But um, overall, though, I think that the offense really did not play that well. Um, but the de- the Green Bay defense is a pretty good defense. Yeah, Green Bay has some playmakers on defense, obviously, especially in this game. 
their uh, guys up front did a good job without um, Jair Alexander and King in the back end there. I want to reserve a little bit of judgment on Jake because of the wind. But then when you look at Rodgers was still cutting the ball through the air with no problem. Obviously, Jake Luton is not Aaron Rodgers. But second performance, a cold outside, very windy, very gusty. Obviously, I think that did have an impact. But I agree with you still when you're talking about taking those sacks at the end of the game, not getting the ball out, uh, kind of being loose with the ball a little bit at times. I'm not ready to bury him as like, you know, get this guy out of town. But he is a young a young rookie quarterback, and uh, he's going to go through some growing pains. And we'll see. As we said, Gardner Minshew, he is going to start to practice this week. Uh, I, I think if Luton doesn't come out and perform much better than he did against Green Bay, which of course will be a tall task against the Steelers, then you could be looking at Gardner Minshew getting back into the lineup next week if he's good to go. Um James Robinson, we've talked about him. He was excellent again. He had one touch, yeah, one touchdown that was uh, called back to from a penalty, and then there was a touchdown on the field. They ruled a touchdown on the field that they ended up calling back, calling him out of bounds. But he still got over a hundred yards on the ground, averaged over four point seven yards per carry. We've talked about him. He's just been so consistent, so good, and uh, gosh. If he hadn't had a few of these runs called back because of penalties this year, it, it, he'd have over a hundred, or excuse me, over a thousand scrimmage yards already, which is very frustrating. But he's playing excellent football. Another solid performance. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, I believe there were two touchdowns, two James Robinson touchdowns called back due to holding. Um, I remember that. I thought specifically maybe. for fantasy purposes. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that specifically. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was two. Um, yeah, I mean that, that that's huge too. I mean, you can you can look in a lot of places on Sunday to find chances for the Jaguars to win this game. Obviously taking, you know, ultimately 14 points off the board because it was on two separate drives. Two separate drives, we had touchdowns called back for holding. So that, that that's 14 points right off the board. Um and then obviously the turnover, the taking the sacks at the end by Luton. Um but James Robinson, another fantastic performance. At one point, he was averaging like seven something yards a carry. And, you know, I was talking about it on Twitter. Until that man is averaging less than five and a half yards a carry, there should be no reason why Jay Gruden doesn't hand the ball off repeatedly over and over and over again until somebody can stop you. Because this guy is getting hit in the backfield, contacted line of scrimmage, and he's still, you know, itching out five, six, seven yard runs. Every single time, consistent play across every game this season. And like you said, penalties, you know, stuff like that, very easily holding him back from a thousand yards um, within the first 10 games. And I mean, if that doesn't say it for you, then I don't know what else will that he's one of the best performing, if not the best performing rookies this year. And it just, it the more you look at it, the more it just frustrates me that he's not getting the recognition he deserves because he has been a absolute surprise and no one saw this coming absolute stud no if fans buts about it yeah he definitely has been speaking of a stud who had a dud of a game this weekend dj chark he played well 
got open quite a bit, was only targeted five times, caught four of the passes. The one pass that he didn't haul in was honestly a play that should have been a touchdown. Jake Luton couldn't get the ball out quick enough and couldn't get the ball out far enough in front of Chark, who had to stop and come back to the ball, which allowed the defensive back to get in there and break it up. Uh, But it should have been a touchdown. Why, I asked Jay Gruden this today, why did DJ Chark not get targeted more? He kind of chalked it up to, you know, not throwing the ball that much because of the weather conditions and the wind and all that. And I don't really buy that. I think they got to get him the ball more than five times a game, you know, no matter what. Like, he needs to be getting much closer to 10 targets every single game. That's what the best receivers in football get, and he deserves to get the ball like he's one of the best receivers in football. Uh, agreed, and you can tell Jake Gruden to take that sorry excuse and shove it up his rear end because Luton threw the ball 35 times. Out of, right, I didn't Out of 35 that. attempts, 15 of those should have been targeted at DJ Chark unless they're playing double coverage all day long. And like you said, Luton missed a beautiful chance for a touchdown. Chark had the man beat by five yards. The safety was not going to make it over the top in time to help on that play. That should have been a dot touchdown. Luton could not get the ball there. And that was tough. And you could chalk chalk it up to wind, whatever you want. But when you have an arm like Luton, or at least like what they're advertising it as, and what we saw the first time around, you've got to make that throw. That is an NFL throw that has to be made. I don't care who you are. I don't care if the wind is blowing in your face. Unless it's blowing at 30 miles an hour, you have to make that throw. Like you said, you saw Aaron Rodgers just slicing it up through the wind. Obviously, he is more conditioned to that climate, that atmosphere. He's been there his whole career. I get that. But regardless of the factors in play, that is an NFL throw that has to be made. That is points right there. We can probably cap chop that up as, as, as another seven, let's say 21 points in total. This offense missed out on due to two holding penalties and a missed ball by Luton. If you throw that ball to Chark in stride, he's gone. And that's one of the things that kind of separated him from Minshew last week is that Minshew, I don't know, would have had the arm strength to make that throw to begin with. Luton does. And he showed it his first week that he started. And now you come back to it again this week, doesn't hit it. And so it kind of, you know, adds a little bit of skepticism on whether or not he's going to take this over from Minshew from here on out. That's a throw you have to make. Yeah, so the offense didn't perform that well in less than ideal conditions. Uh, Defensively, I think you saw a pretty impressive game holding the Packers to 24 points. Uh, You saw Devon Hamilton get another sack. He continues to play well on the interior. Josh Allen on the edge. He played fairly well, got a hit on Rodgers, tossed around some offensive linemen, got another pressure. But he couldn't come away with a sack. It's been a frustrating season for him. I do think if he continues to get healthier and stay that way, that I'd expect to see more from him down the stretch. But he's only got two and a half sacks on the year, hasn't had a full sack since week four. He has missed some time during that stretch, two weeks. But... uh, very frustrating sophomore campaign for Josh Allen. The defense as a whole, I think, played extremely well um, against Aaron Rodgers. I mean, you expected a lot more from that Green Bay offense, and they just simply didn't get it. And I think you chalked it up straight to the defense. There wasn't you know, any mistakes that the offense was making for the Packers. Just the Jaguars' defense played well, and it's something we don't see very often. And Josh Allen... You know, besides that one bogus um, roughing the passer call that was given to him, and actually Aaron Rodgers touched on it a little bit today on the Pat McAfee show um, about you know that being a call that 
you don't need to see in the NFL, a call that shouldn't have been made, a call that, that quarterbacks are not looking for. He wasn't maliciously going after his legs or diving at his legs. Um, so, you know, you can kind of wipe that off the board. Um, Josh Allen has been a, a very stout edge defender this year. His role has changed a little bit after losing Jan and Calais. Obviously, we spoke about that last week. He's not just able to pin his ears back and go out for the passer every single play, but he's been a very stout edge defender. Uh, so for that, you know, I definitely applaud him. Obviously, you want to be the guy who's going out and getting sacks, making all the plays. But, you know, in a team sport, on a team defense, you know, sometimes you're not going to be that guy. And so he's doing that, and, and I applaud him for that. C.J. Henderson, man, as much as he's up and down, up and down, when he's up, he's really up and he's really good. And I think he played up to the talent uh, this weekend against Devontae Adams, made some great tackles. He's not scared to go hit somebody, and I think that's fantastic. Um, but I have to praise him, man. You know, he when he's down, when he's at his worst, he's not very good. And I think a lot of that has to do with – mentally, I just don't think that he – keeps himself in games all the time. But when he's on it, man, he can be really, really good. And he really showed us on Sunday what his ceiling could really be if he continues to develop, um, you know, is mentally strong and stays in games. He could be really, really good. Yeah, he really can. He caused that forced fumble uh, that against Devontae Adams, of course, that Jack was able to pick up and return a little bit. So that was a huge play in the game. And like you said, he played very well. He did give up some passes or some catches and coverage. But of course, when you're playing Devontae Adams, what do you expect? He limited him pretty well. I believe he caught, I believe the end coverage, Henderson's man caught five passes for 44 yards. So not too much there. And then uh, you look back at the linebackers here. Miles Jackie continues to make plays. Of course, picked up that fumble that CJ Henderson forced against Devontae. Uh, Jack got nine tack or eight tackles of his own, and Schobert he played well too, uh, collecting nine tackles. I thought both of those guys played well. I think they're continuing to grow together, and Jack is just continuing to uh, pad that resume for uh, for a Pro Bowl season, obviously, and potentially all pro. Miles Jack is worth all the monies, man. He is all over the field um, every single week. He is just proving, you know what he truly can be in this league. And he, I think he's really actually starting to come into his peak and he's starting to show that star quality um, and how much of a steal he's going to be uh, based off his draft position a couple years ago. Um, obviously that knee injury at UCLA definitely uh, bumped him down a little bit. And the Jags got him um, a lot later than he should have been taken. And I thought he was a steal at the time. And he's just showing us now how good he really is. And I think miles Jack is one of the best linebackers in the league. And I know um, that he didn't force that fumble. Like you said, it was Henderson, but somehow he's always around the ball, no matter where the ball is, no matter what the play is at the end of the play, look at the frame. You will see number 44. And I think that just speaks volumes for the type of player he's going to be. He's got a great nose for the football. He's always making plays and uh, hopefully he's here for the long haul. Hopefully he can be uh, one of those next guys that, you know, we have here for years, you know, a Rasheen Mathis, Donovan Darius type of guy who's going to cement his name um, in Jacksonville uh, for a long time to come. Yeah. And I mean, talent wise, he's got more than both of those guys. So he could end up being one of the real greats, like you said, um, and then moving back into the secondary, Sidney Jones, he did give up that long touchdown to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Obviously, that's going to happen from time to time. But then he responded, getting a big INT later in the game. So I, I think you got to still like what you're seeing from him. 
only allowed uh, 50% completion percentage against him in coverage this week. So he's continuing to just play very well. Obviously that, um, that touchdown is pretty unacceptable, but the ref got in the way there too, where Jared Wilson probably would have been able to make the tackle. So other than that, he played an excellent game of football. Obviously you can't really just say other than that to a touchdown because it is a big deal. But again, I think as he continues to grow uh, with the Jaguars, he's a guy that they've got to keep around. Definitely. And I mean, obviously you'd like to not have given up that touchdown, but it's going to happen, especially when you're playing the Packers, Aaron Rodgers, um, Valdez Scantling definitely used the referee to his advantage there. Um, so kudos to him, but Sidney Jones has been the best in season acquisition, obviously this year, but truthfully, honestly, and for the last five, six, seven years, I can't really remember an in season acquisition who's made more of an impact than Sidney Jones. Obviously the Jaguars, I would say Darius. Okay. okay. And Dar- yeah. I didn't think about Lambo personally, but Darius. Obviously, you care about cornerback more than Kicker, Darius. But, did, you know, Lambo has had a he profound impact. And did, was he preseason trade or, or had, I don't really honestly remember how we. He was during was he? the year. I honestly don't remember how we acquired yep. him now that we think about it. But the Chargers released him after he was just. Not That's, great. He wasn't out. terrible, yeah. but he wasn't did, doing. Did we great. still have Myers at that time, and then we cut Myers and signed him, or was that post Myers? I believe it was post Myers um, or Myers. We might have just gotten rid of Myers, uh, but yeah, they went out and got him well, in the middle. That's of a good season. one, regardless. And, and Darius is up there too. So, uh, but Sidney Jones definitely ranks up in there if you're asking me. And the reason why is he's so young. He's so young. He had that upside coming out of the draft. Um, sometimes you just need a change of scenery. And to pair him with C.J. Henderson, to have two super young cornerbacks who are showing the type of promise that they are, it's really exciting. Because just imagine those two developing together you know, and becoming a shutdown duo. That would speak volumes for this team going forward. That is going to obviously allow you to build in other areas. Um, you know, you don't have to go out and spend money on secondary right now, especially at the cornerback position. If they can continue to play well and develop together, um, that's going to be a huge boost for the Jaguars going forward. Yeah, it definitely is. And then you look at Daniel Thomas and Jared Wilson at uh, safety. I think they both played fine. They didn't do anything above and beyond the X's and O's, and they didn't really – screw anything up either so they were just steady eddie in my opinion in this yeah and it's really confusing to me i i just with jared wilson the numbers statistically pff rankings the whole nine yards suggests that he's a much better safety than he is in my opinion so i don't like to get too caught up on that i do see that a lot and i don't like to get too caught up on it because i don't think i still think we're very weak especially in the deep secondary um and I think we definitely need to make make some some strides there. Um, obviously, the rookie. I'm totally with you. Let's talk about that. Okay, when we get let's to say the that draft. for that. Let's say that for the that. Draft but, but I totally did am not, with you on that. They did that. not play <laughs> terribly poor. Um, but again, I mean, <laughs> it's one where the other. It's either the Jaguars are kind of competitive or they're getting blown out. So when we say that, you know, they didn't play terribly poor, they didn't play great by any means. But we'll get into that a little bit later. 
Yeah, now i uh, like to remind everybody to follow Jeremy on Twitter at Jeremy Markowski, myself at Jordan DeLugo, and of course Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag. Let's jump into this Jaguars versus Steelers matchup. Uh, what are you going to say here? I mean, the Jags are 10-point home underdogs. You don't see that often. The Steelers are undefeated, 9-0. and Jags are 1-8. and uh, The Steelers come in with one of the best defensive fronts in football. With T.J. Watt, I mean, Cam Hayward, Bud Dupree, Tyson Aluwalu. Yes, that Tyson Aluwalu. He's playing out of his mind this year. They've still got Stephon Tuitt. And uh, even without uh, Devin Bush, who's one of the best off-ball linebackers in football, they're still playing great at linebacker. And then, of course, you got Minka Fitzpatrick controlling the skies on the back end. Very tough defense to do anything against, especially if they get a lead on you. And then offensively, Big Ben, he's coming off AFC Player of the Week. All sorts of weapons with Deontay Johnson, Juju, Mapletron, James Conner, Eric Ebron. The OL is playing strong. I mean, this is a team that does not appear to have many chinks in the armor. You say that, but hear me out for a second. I think this team is beatable. Now, obviously... I fully expect them to come in and roll the Jaguars for a few reasons. Uh, first and foremost, that defense is just unlike anything that, that that the Jaguars have seen up until this point. They've played some pretty decent defenses. Obviously, the Colts at this point in the league are one of the top defenses, but week one, they weren't. Um, the Steelers, I think, are midseason form. They're ready to go. They're dominating teams um, defensively, and I think they're going to have their way with the Jaguars. But... After seeing how the Jaguars performed defensively against the Green Bay offense, who I think has just as many, if not better, weapons when you look at it as a whole, I think the Steelers definitely benefit from quantity, but the Packers benefited from quality. And I think the Jaguars defense really stepped up last week. So I expect them to step up again, especially at home, especially against the Steelers team that, you know, I, I don't know about all the other Jaguars fans out there, but, you know, uh, the, Jag- the Steelers are not welcomed very well in Duval. The Steelers are not a, a team that uh, the Jaguars generally um, are okay with, with, with playing. And it's not, it's obviously an old divisional thing, but it's, it's one of the few teams outside the division. That I think the Jaguars have a true rivalry with, if you want to call it that um, Steelers obviously know what happened a couple of years ago, and I'm sure they haven't let it go. Big Ben and those guys, I'm sure are ready to, uh, you know, get their revenge. And Aluwalu is benefiting from there being, Way bigger names on that front seven to have to worry about, but he's playing out of his mind as well. Um, so I think offensively, the Jaguars are going to struggle. There's no doubt about it. That Steelers defense is is otherworldly. But defensively, I think the Jaguars will have a chance to to kind of get uh, to Ben Roethlisberger if they can put some pressure on him, throw in some blitzes. Todd Wash has been doing it a little bit more, and, and it's been working. Um, and then, you know, if the guys in the back end, if C.J. Henderson can have another good game, if Sidney Jones continues to improve, I mean, really, what do you have to worry about? Juju has been mediocre since since AB left. I mean, he's obviously been a little bit above average, but he hasn't been what we all expected him to be after AB is left. Claypool is a big physical receiver, but so is Devontae Adams. So is Marquez Vadas-Hanley. He's fast. Like The Jaguars have faced talent just as good, if not better, and played well. So I really hope that they can play well again this weekend. Yeah, I hear you when you say Devontae. But when you look at Deontay, Juju, and Mapletron as a three-headed beast, and then you've got other receivers behind them as well that have talent, 
I think it's going to be real tough to stop. I really do. And maybe these young guys, these young cornerbacks can come out and play with their hair on fire and kind of play the game of the century, so to speak. They'll need to to stick with these guys, in my opinion. But yeah, the like you said, former AFC Central Division rivals. A lot of fun history between these two franchises. The Jaguars lead the all-time series 14-12, to including the playoffs. Uh, this is not a matchup, in my opinion, that the Jaguars have a realistic chance to win. I think they have a really realistic chance to play competitive football, uh, kind of like you saw against the Packers. I think it'll be real tough to win, but you never know. Stranger things have happened. It would be the upset of the season, certainly. But talking about these two teams and their history together, uh, you go back to 2017, like you mentioned, Jaguars beat them in Pittsburgh twice, including that playoff victory, kind of beat them down in both games. And then 2007, they also beat the Steelers twice in that season in Pittsburgh. They're the only team to ever beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh, and they've done it twice. Or excuse me, only team to ever beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh twice in a season, and they've done it twice. So really kind of a I crazy stat. I love it, though. And, and uh, back in college, my, my roommate, um, one of them, was a diehard Steelers fan, so that was fun. Um, but again, like I understand what you're saying, but I, I still think it's it's quantity over quality. I mean, James Washington has not been putting up the same numbers, um, you know, that he had previously in the past. Um, same thing with with Deontay Johnson. Um, this this offense, Deontay, Deontay is very, very good. good. Deontay, I'm not saying he's not. I just, I just I can't I can't look at him and say that that's quantity. I mean, that is a quality receiver that uh, wins with route running, is able to separate. I think it's going to be tough. I, we'll I mean, I, I get where you're coming from. I just, you know, when you look at the the teams that the Jaguars have played so far, and I, and I know that I'm sticking on last week, but Devontae Adams is, is right now the best receiver in the game. And I don't think that's even a question. So there's hope. You know, there's hope there um, from seeing what they've done the past two weeks. And it's the first time in back-to-back weeks that the Jaguars have put together – competitive I don't want to say good football but competitive good for this team football and they've had chance to win chances to win the last two weeks so hopefully we can keep that momentum rolling keep being competitive let's get better uh, let's have these young guys get better um, and, and keep it going I'm not saying that we're going to win by any means I, I can see a way that we can win this team is beatable I definitely come into it with a little bit more optimism than I did uh, going into last week when I thought that Aaron Rodgers was just going to throw for five touchdowns left-handed and that didn't happen. So they're proving me wrong. And, and I'd like to see that continue. I don't think we'll win, but I think that the Jaguars will be able to keep the Steelers from covering the spread. If that's anything, if that's any consolation, like you said, a close competitive game, I don't think the Steelers win by 10. Yeah, that is really kind of the key. You're not going to bet on the Jaguars to win straight up. Can you bet on the Jaguars to cover the spread at minus 10? Maybe I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't bet on the Jaguars this week. The Steelers traditionally play the Jaguars in Jacksonville better than they do in Pittsburgh for whatever reason. I think that um, Mike Tomlin knows that. He's going to coach these guys up very well this week. They're going to they're gonna practice very hard for the Jaguars. They know this is a trap game. Uh, they know the history between these two franchises. And look, the Jaguars have plenty of young talent. When you look at it, 
Can Sidney Jones be a better cornerback than Deontay Johnson as a wide receiver? Sure. Can CJ Henderson be a better cornerback than Mapletron as a wide receiver? Sure. But are they going are all these young guys all gonna do that in the same week when you've got a Steelers team that is filled with veterans that know how to win that that's hot? I don't think so. I, I wouldn't bet it. I wouldn't bet uh, against the Steelers in this one, even against the spread. I'd probably take the Steelers if I was going to bet on this one. Um, I do like what the Jags are doing, like you mentioned the last couple weeks. But unless Luton can become a more accurate passer and make better decisions and just have more presence about him in terms of like not taking those sacks at the end of the game against the Packers, uh, and uh, that's going to be against the maybe the best defense in football, I just can't see this game going any other way than a big Steelers. Victory. I hate the term trap game only because I don't think any team ever goes into it thinking it's a trap game. This is the NFL, you know, any given Sunday, man. And, and Mike Tomlin said it best. I believe it was yesterday when asked about it being a trap game. Um, he kind of said, and I'm paraphrasing here, something along the lines of there are no trap games. This is a professional team built of professional players who can come out and kick your butt at any time if you're not ready. So I think he's going to have them ready to go. Mike Tomlin is definitely a no-nonsense guy. But Charles Davis on 1010XL um, this afternoon, I got to catch a little bit of that, made some very good points as to why this team shouldn't be classified as a quote-unquote trap game or a cupcake team. Because when you look at them at 1-8, and eight, the things we've seen this year, obviously, again, they're 1-8. and eight. We get that. But what do teams that are 1-8, and 1-7, 1-6 – what do they start doing when the season starts going that way? They quit. They quit, and the Jaguars exactly. are not doing that. And the reason they're not doing that is because Doug is doing a good job keeping them together, and the rest of the coaches are as well. But it's also because they they're quit, young. They as unravel. Well. They start playing for themselves because they've got 31 other teams that are watching. They need to get good tape out there because they need to have a job next year. You're not seeing that with the Jaguars. You're not seeing the the massive breakdowns um, on defense or or these me players coming out. You're not seeing that. You're not seeing the team unravel. Chalk it up to Doug if you want. I mean, that doesn't make him safe. That doesn't save his job or anything else. The team is still 1-8. Or at it, least it shouldn't. It shouldn't. I <laughs> freaking hope it doesn't. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole quite yet. But this is optimism. This is this is something that the team is is brewing within themselves. They're playing hard. They're keeping things competitive and they are so young and that's got to be promising for anybody, GM, coaches, whoever looking for a job next year, you know, when it's brought to them at the table, it's the talent, the young talent they have on this roster. And the fact that through nine weeks, 10 weeks now, uh, the team has one win and they have not quit. Um, and I think that the league notices that as well. This isn't, you know, a one and eight dysfunctional getting blown out every week anymore football team. Um, when you think historically of one and eight teams, and even if you want to look at comparing the Jags and the Jets this year, I think the Jags and the Jets play this year. I think the Jags are undoubtedly going to win that game. They're a much better football team. They're much better than I think that one and eight record puts them at. Do I think they're, you know, a five and three football team with a one and eight record? No, but, but they're a lot better than I think what it seems. I think teams notice that. And I think it's not just, the BS can response from Mike Tomlin there. I think he's, he's speaking um, the truth when he says that this is a professional league of a professional teams, both of professional players. And at any time they can come out and kick your ass. So 
I think that that teams are on notice and they do understand that this team can put it together. And if they do any given Sunday, they can beat anybody in this league. It's not going to happen very often, but it could. I would, I would agree with you if I felt any sort of confidence about the Jaguars quarterback play. And I really don't. Um, I don't think Luton's just going to go out there and throw the game, but I, I don't think in a competitive football game he's going to win you a game down the stretch. I just don't think he can do it at this point in his career. Maybe he never will be able to, but um, we'll see how that goes. Now, of course, for all the fans of tanking out there, which I certainly do think tanking is not intentionally tanking, but I think the Jaguars losing the rest of their games is definitely the best path forward for this franchise as a whole in terms of you know being able to clean house, get that number two overall pick. Uh, you don't want to see a win, but you do want to see competitive football. Uh, so we'll see how it all plays out this Sunday at uh, 1 p.m. when the Jaguars host the Steelers. But now it's time for my favorite part of the show. We get to start talking about the draft. Last week we talked about quarterback, about uh, – who the Jaguars should select with their uh, top pick at quarterback, how that should all play out. We both kind of agree that Justin Fields is the way, assuming Trevor Lawrence goes off the board at number one and the Jaguars still have that number two pick that they currently control. Nothing's changed there. Of course, Zach Wilson's playing well. Uh, Kyle Trask is playing well. Trey Lance is in the mix as well. He's not playing right now, but he's in the mix there too. So you've got some fun quarterbacks, but I don't think anyone is really approaching Fields at number two right now. Definitely not. Not yet, at least. I think just like every other year, there's going to be a third guy who kind of comes in and makes his push and can potentially make that jump. I don't know if it's going to be Wilson or Trask yet. Um, it already you think is so? Wilson. He's making that jump over Fields? I don't think so. There's, There's no way. Oh, excuse me. No, no, no not there, there, the there, excuse there's going to be a guy no. who is going to sneak in and, and become a part of the conversation at least. I just got to get back on my. Yeah, because the last tweet that I uh, tagged you in, it, it didn't look very good. They uh, seem to be kind of uh, leaning my way. I don't think he's going to make the top five, but we'll see. Listen, we'll see. Uh, that tweet was <laughs> bogus. It, I don't even remember not, who tweeted that out. I don't know. Like it was ESPN not good. I'll something. admit it, but it, it was just nice to see that. Uh, for you at least, uh, it doesn't back up your premonition of being, of being top five. So we're, yeah. we're still gonna we still need to figure out uh, the parameters of that of that little bet um, in the future here, maybe uh, next week. Um, yeah, I've got it written down in the podcast notes though. So every podcast from here until the draft, right, I'll awesome. be able yeah. to see. It. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Zach so Wilson, again, top five. Again, I, I, I think five. someone's gonna come <laughs> up and and make a conversation. For themselves, I don't know if it's going to be something that sticks. At least for the Jaguars' sake, I think one one and two are pretty locked up. Um, and you know, I know that we're going to talk about other things. You know, not quarterback involved today. Um, but you know, I'm still not set that that the Jaguars don't get Lawrence, and I'm not set that the Jaguars don't move up to number one because I'd personally be okay with it. But obviously, you know, we're not looking at that quite yet. But um, yeah, that's an interesting debate. Something Certainly, we should probably get to um, in, a, in like, a later down the road, but that's been on my mind for for a little while. Last last few weeks, I mean, really, could could the Jaguars jump the Jets even if the Jets do finish with the number one overall pick? Right, that is interesting. Haven't thought about that much, but we can talk about that later. 
Um, but today we're going to talk about, like I mentioned earlier, uh, what positions and what players might the Jaguars attack or what which ones should they attack looking at the rest of the picks that they have in the top three rounds. Um, they have number 25 from the Rams right now. The Rams keep playing good football, unfortunately, out there in L.A. And then they've also got 34, 45. The, both of those are in the second round and then 66 at the top of the third. So um, what do the Jaguars do at these spots? What should they do at these spots? Which positions make sense? Which players make sense? So let's jump to 25, assume that the Jaguars have gone ahead and not traded up with the Jets and gone ahead and taken fields. Uh, so you're at 25. Um, what are you looking at here? And is there a free agent, or it's not a specific free agent, but is there a position that you would rather address in free agency than address here? What position seems to so, make sense for you? or And what player specifically? Looking at it that? right now, let's say the Jaguars do somehow make it all the way to 25 without moving up. And I'll talk about my my other scenario after that. Let's say they go through 25, the order stays the same. Looking at everything right now, you know, where are the biggest needs on the team? In my opinion, I think you've got two glaring needs offensively, being tight end and the offensive guard spot. I still think uh, that that has not been shored up yet. You have an underperforming Andrew Norwell and an AJ Can that I have never really been a huge fan of. Now, if you want to address that in the free agent market, I can understand, but I think that you're going to be better off finding a guy early that can be a, a centerpiece of your offensive line going forward. So personally, for me, the biggest need is tight end, but I don't think Kyle Pitts is available at 25. So I think the Jaguars are going offensive line there. I'm not exactly sure who yet. Haven't really um, ironed that out. It, it's everything's going to change a lot leading up to that pick to kind of see where people uh, are going to end up landing. But I think offensive line would be where I would look. If you're not going to look offensive line, you want to look defensively. Again, we're getting down into the twenties. Who's going to be available? Um, I like. Uh, Parsons out of Penn State, the linebacker. Um, again, if we were switching to, yeah, no chance. It, that he's it's going to be, be again. It's going to be tough. I think most projections that I've seen so far are late teens, early twenties. So again, I mean, there's, I I have him in the late, uh, you know, really five I don't, to I don't ten know I, range. I don't Maybe know if I necessarily see him going that high, but I can see the argument for it. But I think a linebacker, if you're going to look somewhere else. Um, other than offensive line, if you're going to look defensively, I think a linebacker would be key because I do think no, 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 not replace to replace, but I do or? think this team is is better suited in a three four scheme, and, I, and I've said that many times. And again, looking forward, I hope that whoever they bring in, you know, looks at this roster and evaluates it based off of what's there. So I think he comes in and fits right into the secondary middle linebacker spot with Schobert. I think that'd be a fantastic fit, um, having those two guys uh, roam uh, the back of the front seven. Um, if you want to look outside of that, I mean, maybe a guy like Marvin Wilson um, out of out of Florida State, maybe defensive tackle if you're not set on Costin uh, and Hamilton going forward. Um, and the guy whose name I cannot pronounce, so I don't want to butcher it, um, out of USC, their defensive tackle. Um, I don't. Uh, yeah, 
I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Let me see if I can go ahead and at least attempt it. Um, Yeah. It's J, right? It's J. It's a hyphen. It's definitely. um, I don't know if he's Samoan. I don't want to be. But it's uh, J. Tufalele? 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 Something like Uh, that. Defense tackle at USC. Um, Again, he's a a big, athletic, uh, 300 plus pound defensive tackle. Um, again, you know, if he declares, is that going to be a guy who you want to run in that three, four scheme? I, I think so. He's, he's massive. And I think that's where the Jaguars need to go based off the, the talent that they have. And that's what I would look to scenario two. And what I'm going to ride until it doesn't happen is the Jaguars need to do what they did not do last year and move up in the first round. Kyle Pitts is a dynamic playmaker. He is a guy who is not just a tight end. You can line him up anywhere on the field. He's going to go out there. He's athletic. He's going to get the ball. You know, a Kittle, Travis Kelsey, you know, Gronk type of guy. Big, athletic, an absolute game changer. And the Jaguars haven't had a decent tight end since Mercedes Lewis and not one that could catch the ball, uh, you know, in, in those regards as well, pretty much ever. I mean, last thing I can think was like maybe Kyle Brady was like the real last pass catching tight end the Jaguars have had, which is insane considering how long ago that was. The Jaguars need to take a couple picks, move back up into the first. You know, I don't think it would get back into the top 10, but 10 to 15 range if he's still there and make a move and get Kyle Pitts for your uh, rookie quarterback. Start that bond early, get him a weapon first thing and go for it with that. Would I be excited if the Jaguars pulled the trigger and you know, trade it up to get Kyle Pitts. I absolutely would. I think he's going to be fantastic. But would I do that? Listen, if he's there when I'm picking, absolutely I would do it. Am I going to, you know, trade the farm to go up and get a tight end, even though he's much more than a traditional tight end, obviously. But am I going to do that? I'm not sure. I'm probably, if he's off the board, especially because I do think he could end up going like in the top 12, uh, we'll see how it all shakes out there. But if if he's not there, I'm probably not going to take Pat Fryermuth. I'd probably risk it and wait to see if Fryermuth from Penn State or Brevin Jordan from Miami is available in the second round. I'm looking at some positions here and what makes sense to me. You mentioned interior offensive line. I do think the Jaguars should address that. I think they should address it at some point in the first half of the draft, I don't think they should address it in the first round. You look at a lot of the top interior offensive linemen outside of a Quentin Nelson um, around the league, most of them are not coming from the first round. You don't need to, in my opinion, get an elite physical traits interior offensive lineman to have a successful interior offensive lineman. So I'm not looking there at 25 Um, There are some players I really like. Uh, So obviously this is all contingent too upon are the Jaguars bringing back Cam Robinson or not? Are they letting him walk in free agency? Because if you let Cam Robinson walk in free agency at left tackle, then you pretty much have to take a left tackle here in my opinion. Do you agree with that? I do. I don't think that they'll move away though. This is something that I was going to talk about as well uh, in the second, third round. Right. I don't think they should move on from Cam. I'm just saying, I don't you know, think if they, they do, can you get a guy be... that polished that early in the draft? I mean, obviously, I mean, that, that late in the first that round, yeah, you're not going to get a Tristan Wirfs, you know, 
No, no, I don't think you will. But you, there are some guys that could fall to that spot. Sam Cosme from Texas is playing very well. Needs to fill out his frame a little bit more. Christian Darisaw has been rising a lot. There's some guys. I'm not saying I would definitely go in that direction. But if you do lose Cam Robinson and don't sign a left tackle in free agency, then I think you got to be looking at that strongly. Those are two guys that could fall to that spot. Um, my dream pick here, you know, screw everything else. Pass rush wins games in the NFL. Joseph Osai, if he makes it to 25 or whatever the Jaguars are selecting and Pitts is off the board, this guy's from Texas. He is a fantastic edge rusher. Now, you don't you don't want to ask him to put his hands in the ground because that's not his game, but he's everything already right now that Caleb Von Chason is not. Caleb Von Chason, when you selected him, he's all traits. He's all physicality, all speed, all that good stuff. Joseph Osai, he has a lot of nice traits that you like. But guess what he does? He bends the edge. He uses his hands. He consistently gets around the tackle to create pressure on opposing quarterbacks. He's an unbelievable pass rusher. And you cannot have enough good pass rushers, even if you're not giving up on Caleb on chase on, which I'm not. And um, you still got Josh Allen, of course. But the best defenses have waves of pass rushers. You need more than two. DeWan Smoot's going to be a free agent after this year. Go get Joseph Asai, who is going to immediately, in my opinion, supplant Caleb on Chase on on the edge, and you know at least have a friendly or good competition with Chase on. And look, if you're talking about converting to three four, he can do that. He plays with his hand, uh, not in the dirt. He plays out of a two point stance. He's shown the ability to chase down runners. I just love this kid, and I think he's going to end up being one of the most impactful players early on in his career from this draft class and then um uh, now that i've gotten off my soapbox i also like jc horn you know obviously if you're confident in sydney jones and and cj henderson moving forward then you got to re-sign uh sydney jones but if you if you don't feel like that can be your outside cornerback tandem jc horn from south carolina is a guy that might fall into that range who he's the son of joe horn very physical very gifted press corner uh, he could be a lot of fun. JC Horn as well. is, is a good thought. I think uh, at 25, it might be a little bit of a stretch. Uh, I think you're reaching a little bit there. I think he could end up yeah, going I mean, I, I, there, I would, man. I would probably think that I like a guy like Asante Samuel Jr. Um, more than I than I like uh, JC Horn personally. So I think if he's still there, maybe you don't make that reach. Even if you look at a guy like Tyson Campbell out of Georgia, um, a tall. Yeah, so many different options. Um, what's the kid out of Clemson? Um, oh, I can't remember his name. I'm, I'm blanking on. I don't have a guy out of Clemson. On it's my just another one of the, the cornerbacks that are ta- right that are being talked about in the first round. I don't look up. Darian Kendrick, Darian Kendrick out of Clemson, uh, six foot, okay. 195 pounds. Another a um, little bit of a bigger guy, but I mean Tyson Campbell, six two. Um, now I've got it up here. I can look at all these all these guys. Um, Asante Samuel a little bit smaller, but but physical, um, and and you know I, I think he is a, lot, a little bit more polished. Um, but obviously, he has yeah, absolutely. To be a big playmaker, obviously, is a bigger guy too. A little bit bigger though. I think he's at like at two ten. Um, so a little bit bigger. I don't know if that's necessarily where I'd go right off the bat. But the one thing I didn't like, and and I'll be honest with you, is. 
I don't like Osai as much as you do because I think you're just bringing in another Caleb on. I think you're. I just he's I, nothing I, like he's Caleb a on, a primary speed rusher. He uses his hands, fantastic, but he's just a pure edge rusher, and you can obviously mold. But that's not he's what not, Caleb on Jason is. He's not, but Jason is right. nothing. But right Chazon, now. Osai's ready to come in and get around. Jason is not day one. supposed to be that pure speed rusher, though. Um, that's not what you're looking for. Um, you know, he he needs to be that three four outside linebacker. Um, and Osai, I mean, I just think you're getting a one dimensional player, and I hate to to pin that on him now, uh, but I think you're not getting. You're not getting. I don't think that's true at all. What and, and again, I'm not. I'm, I understand where you're coming from, and I'm trying to word this properly so you don't think that I'm saying he's only going to be good at one thing. But I think you're bringing him in if you're bringing him in to be just your off the edge guy. And I think obviously like, you're not wrong. You can't have too many of those guys. But you've got Josh Allen. You've got Chase on who you want to develop on the edge to be not just a pass rusher but a complete outside linebacker. Um, so, I mean, unless you want to get this guy, get his hand in the dirt, which is not his natural play style, I just don't think it's a great fit currently right now with what we have on the roster. If you're looking at a 3-4. If, if you're looking at a 3-4, helps. it helps. What are you going to do with Allen? Because I think in a 3-4, Josh Allen becomes your stand-up end. You've got to go get two bigger guys to, to put on the actual line, and I don't think Osai fits there. And I don't think you're ready to plant. No, you've got Osai on Chase I'm, on. I don't a, think you're ready to, to supplant Chase on yet, though. I just both of them are outside linebackers. You got Jack in the middle and you got Right. And so you have Allen in the middle and Chase on. Obviously Josh Allen is staying there. Those are your four linebackers. And if you if you draft Chase on, you're just you're doubling up on a guy that I mean, unless Osai comes out and and is light years above and better than Chase on, you're just drafting you're just I mean he is. Well and, it, I can and that's fine. That. I don't I you it, it's before until you get there. It does suck. I guess the point is it does suck to think about taking a defensive that, end two it, it years in a row. brings you back to, to in the first round. 2018. Three years yeah, in a row Allen, is what it Chase would be. Allen, yeah. But it, it brings me back to 2000, 2018 or 17. The Taven Bryant, again, just thing where there, there's there's nowhere to fit him. He just didn't fit. Doesn't, it's not a fit. I just think that when you uh, – it is a fit. For any team, I think any team is going to be really happy to have him. I think it's a mistake to pass. I think on we him have bigger needs than, than drafting uh, depth. Oh, I agree with you, but I think that there's needs, and then there's the positions that you want that I want to address in the first round of the draft. Are those you know positions where you cannot find the talent usually outside of the first and second round? You're talking about defensive end, quarterback. Um, and cornerback uh, and offensive tackle, of course. I, those are the type of positions I would want to look at in the first round if I'm – and, of course, you're not going to do that every single year. But when you've got those big-time first-round picks, I think you got to get somebody who's going to really impact the game. I think Joseph Osai is going to do that. Um, so, obviously, we disagree there, and that's totally fine. Uh, I agree with your take on Pitts 100%. I would be fine to go up and get him. I wouldn't do it, but I wouldn't blame someone else for doing it, if that makes sense. Uh, would love to see him in Jacksonville. Justin Fields throwing the ball to Kyle Pitts would just be uh, 
something we've never seen before, to be quite frankly, to be quite frank, in Jacksonville. And then moving on to the second round, they've got 34 and 45 in the second round. Like I said, if, if you're not getting pits in round one, I definitely think you're looking at Friermuth or Jordan uh, at tight end at 34. How do you feel about that? I think you definitely that? have to go out and get a pass catcher, so um, I'm not against that at all. Um, you have Chark, uh, who is your young, versatile guy. Outside of that, I don't really see anybody besides maybe like LaVisca um, who's going to be a prolonged playmaker. You said obviously – you know, Chark or not Chark, Keelan Cole is coming up on a contract year, so you know we don't really know where he's going to end up. Um, obviously, D.D. Westbrook has fallen far from grace with this team, so I don't see him uh, sticking around much longer. Um, so I think you need another guy on the outside, another weapon uh, for your quarterback, and it, whether it be a tight end or or a wide receiver, you've got to go out and get a playmaker. I don't think though in this draft, outside of Kyle Pitts there's really another tight end that I am valuing as high uh, because I, I don't think you, you group pits in the tight ends. I think you group pits in the overall group of the pass catchers. Yeah, man. He's so himself, I really, man. I think you have to address tight end at some point in some way, shape or form. And, and it's just not even close, close with, with Kyle Pitts. And I mean, um, if you're looking for some pass catchers to potentially drop their way into day two, um, I would look for a guy like maybe Rondale Moore out of Purdue, um, Bateman out of Minnesota. I he's he's quick and he's about small, him, man. something that you know. Five yeah, nine, yeah, always I mean, injured. He has Ugh. shown speed and agility and, and the ability uh, to make some plays with the ball, kind of like we saw with LaVisca at Colorado. I don't think he's on the same level. Um, but still a projected first round pick that could potentially fall into the second round. Um, and then a guy like Rashad Bateman, um, from Minnesota, um, a bigger, a bigger physical body that. that I think would fit better on the outside across from Chark. So you have two bigger bodies on the outside and then LaVisca Chanel, I think would be an ideal slot guy. So I think you've got to go out there and get one of those guys on day two. Maybe you. So even, so let. Let's say the Jags have gotten fields and pits. You're at 34 now. Are you still looking at a receiver? You want to go nope. off into the first three picks? Pits. Now, the, it, it, okay. again, I don't think he'll make it at 25. So if we're not moving around, I think it's out of the question. Um, but if you get fields and pits, no, I don't think you have to go. I don't think you have to go receiver because again, pits is going to be one of those guys. You're going to move him around. He might line up outside. He's going to be a weapon. I think that that gives you a little bit of leeway and either drafting another wide receiver later on maybe day two or three, or going out and signing a free agent, or maybe even bringing back a guy like Keelan Cole, who has shown that, you know, even though he's not the biggest guy, he can play football on the outside. Uh, You know, he can really get down the field, stretch the field out. Um, You know, I I have no questions about the production that we could get from him. Um, So I'd be okay with that. I think if you hit on those two guys, Pitts and Field or, or Pitts and Lawrence, somehow fingers crossed, uh, you know, all prayers aside, um, I think you look either offensive line if you chose to move on from Cam Robinson um, or defensively. And now I think you go get that DB that you're looking for. Okay, yeah. Um, my favorite guy that could be here is Trayvon Morig, the safety from TCU. We talked, and this is why I kind of interrupted you earlier when we were talking about how the safeties were playing for the Jaguars. 
I think that they're fine. I don't think they're doing anything great. Trayvon Mulrig, he is going to come in and he is going to make plays from day one. He's a physical tackler. He's a he's a free safety to be sure, but he's a physical tackler. Got great range on the back end, and he like Miles Jack is just always around the football, always making plays, whether it be intercepting passes, forcing fumbles, picking up fumbles. This is the type of guy that you want on your football team, and if you can get him at 35 to replace Jared Wilson at free safety, and then maybe you just kick Jared Wilson over to strong safety because he came into the league as a strong safety. I'm fine with that. I think that could be very good with uh, Jared Wilson being your steady Eddie guy and Trayvon Morig being your I really like that thought. I haven't seen a lot of Morig yet. He's definitely on my list of guys to start watching um, because – you're right. By all intents and purposes, from what I've seen, he is a great cover guy at 6'2". So he's big as well. And, you know, I hate the really – I hate that that you get into this free safety, strong safety debate. I like a guy that can do both. If you can get two guys that can do both, you don't have to have, you know, a covered strong side uh, and, and runs. Obviously, that's ideal and that doesn't happen very often, but he's definitely a guy that can do both. He can cover and he can go up and defend the run. He's big. So um, – that would be that'd be something that I have not thought about yet, but I would be completely open to that. Like I said before, I think you need some help in the deep secondary, um, and he might be a guy that can come in and make some immediate, um, immediate impact. I mean, and, and honestly, um, our Darius Washington also at a TCU. They've got a great safety combo back there. Now that we're thinking about it, right? Yeah, he's impressive too, and you could probably get him a little bit later. Uh, not too much later, but a little bit later. But um, yeah, Morick, he might end up going in the first round. I think he's a first round talent. I think that safety isn't valued as much as it used to be. So maybe that is why he could fall to uh, the mid 30s. And also there's a fact that there's a couple other guys that are, are big names in the safety class. Paris Ford, Andre Cisco, a few other guys. Uh, I think Morick's the best of them, certainly. But, um, yeah, if you're going offense in the first round, too, and you can't get a safety like Morig, uh, looking at interior defensive lineman next to Devon Hamilton, potentially Darius Stills from West Virginia. He's definitely a three-tech type guy, undersized, but has that power and quickness to kind of create pressure. Jalen Twyman, he's the same way from Pitt. He's not playing this year. He opted out to get ready for the draft. Um, And then, of course, Marvin Wilson, he's fallen off a little bit because of uh, injury, because of his, he's not playing well, because he didn't actually play as well to start the season as you would have hoped. But he's a guy that we all know what type of player he can be at the next level. So if you're looking interior D-line, I could, I could get on board with some of those guys. But then if you get one of those defenders in the first round, like I mentioned, uh, and you didn't you weren't able to address tight end you could be looking at um i love amon ross st brown i don't know if you've seen him from usc i think he's a guy that could be in there in that 34 to 45 range uh you mentioned rashad bateman i like him a lot as well uh if you get fields maybe at 45 you go get Olave, his number one receiver from ohio state who he's probably going to end up being a top 50 pick so there's a lot of options here that's the beauty of the draft. There's so many different ways this could all go down. And the the thing is the Jaguars just got to go get those playmakers that can really come in, have the right attitude, and uh, have the obviously have the talent 
to come in and compete at a high level. And I don't think the Jaguars, once they get their quarterback, are that far away from being more competitive. I think you're four, uh, including the quarterback, I think you're about four to five real impact starters, which is a lot when you consider there's only 22 starters on offense and defense. But I think they're four or five impact starters away from being a team that can really compete for the playoffs. And then um, looking at their final pick on day two of the draft, you've got Kadarius Toney is a guy that I am just so enamored by. I think we talked about him a little bit. But if you don't go get a receiver in the first couple rounds, what do you think about Kadarius Toney? If that's where you're going, then then I agree. If that's uh, the direction that they're going to go, I think you said, obviously, Chris Olave is somebody that if you get fields, you might want to look at targeting. Obviously, the rapport is going to be there immediately. Um, but yeah, Kadarius Tony is a guy who we are seeing slowly make more of a name for himself week after week. He's explosive. Uh, he's great with the ball. He's making plays, and, and that's what you need. Um, you need somebody to come in and, and kind of be explosive, and, and that's something that we are seeing in with Pittsburgh, we talk about the guys that they have, Deontay Johnson, James Washington. I think he kind of fits that mold, fits that build, and we're seeing you know, some of these guys become more and more successful in the league. So I think you'd be amiss to not even mention his name. But say we do get that pass catcher. Say we do get um, you know, what we're looking for, maybe in Kyle Pitts or, or a receiver um, later in the draft. I'm looking at like linebacker here still. I think something that, that's something that you've got to address, interior linebacker. I still think that a scheme change is coming. Maybe somebody like Chaz Surratt at a UNC. Um, he has shown that he can be a very impactful player. Uh, tackling can still be somewhat of an issue um, with him, but a game changer nonetheless. And then the other Surratt over at Wake Forest playing wide receiver, Sage Surratt. What do you think about him if you're talking about wide receivers this time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like him. I don't think he's that um, that athlete that gets you excited. Um, on the first couple days of the draft, which is why I haven't really talked about him very much. But if he's a guy that you go get um, in the third round, you could do a lot worse. I think he's going to be a good NFL receiver. I don't know if he has that ceiling or that crazy explosive ability, but he can definitely help your offense and be a, probably be a, a very good possession type receiver and, and a strong NFL offense, a number two or three target and a good offense in the NFL. I agree with you there. And it's so funny, man, uh, talking about linebackers. That has just been totally off my radar when I've been looking at the draft so far. I do get what you're saying. Uh, If they switch to the 3-4, they probably need another linebacker. But we'll see how that all plays out, obviously, if there's a scheme change and whatnot. That just has not been on my radar Even even if they don't switch to a 3-4, Chason hasn't been cutting it as as a 4-3 linebacker. You're really a miss outside of Schobert and Miles Jack. I mean, he's only he's been playing defensive right, end they, they've, more they've, than they've gone line. to a lot of four two sets because I think his deficiencies are so large. In, in the, in the, yeah, no, I mean, but he it, can't right. make so a if play. And if you're sticking right with the four three, even again, this is still me totally thinking about switching to the three four and having two stud interior linebackers to defend the run and be your gap stuffing guys, but. Even if we don't say we do stick to that 4-3, besides Miles, Jack, and Joe Schobert, who's your third guy? You really don't have one that you can lean on right now. At least I don't think so. And you, 
I guess my thought process is you don't really need one. You've got Leon Jacobs, you know, that's it's just because he's so much nickel um, that, that there hasn't been and, one. Right. Exactly. I, I just don't think that's something that in my mind is that important. I, I think you want a good guy that can come in and play linebacker when you need to go four, three and not play in the nickel. But I just, I don't think it's one of the bigger. I think it's a big reason as why for the team, but it'll be interesting, especially, especially like you said, if they make a switch at three four, um, if who knows what's going on with Chase on if he develops, there's a lot of different, um, and Sh- uh, Shaq Quarterman as well. How does we don't even know how he's developing because he's not playing, so it'll be interesting. I do think. Linebacker could come into play. It hasn't been in my mind. I just but think you do raise if Quarterman had been making the strides that we want to see or thought we would see, he would be getting more playing time, especially being a young guy this late in a lost season. That points to some red flags for me. But my thought process, again, on this, and I'm going to leave it at this last time I'll make anything, is also the Jaguars in the run game have consistently, consistently struggled for years. The last few years has been consistently bad. And I don't think playing the nickel that frequently helps you at all in the run game. I feel like when you need to go to that 4-3 run-stopping defense, the Jaguars just physically can't because they're limited to only having two linebackers, I think. And I think I think that's why we're in nickel so much. And I could be wrong. That could just be the way that the scheme. Right. That's what I'm saying. That's, so a scheme that's why I think linebacker comes up on my radar so much because I think it adds – the ability to go to that four three when you need to stop the run, which the Jaguars haven't done. And if you do switch to a three four, then I mean you've got another guy. So that's just kind of how my head's putting it all together. Yeah. If if the Jags played more base, they absolutely need another linebacker. So yeah. I agree with you. Because I think that's why they want that guy to be a stud. I think that's why they don't play more base. They just don't have they don't have the guys to do it. Yeah, that's fair. That's an interesting point. I like it. I like it a lot. So, again, like I said, we've got a lot of options here. We've got a lot of time between now and the draft. Got football left to play in college. You've got the bowl games uh, to the extent that they are going on, championship games, all that good stuff. You've got um, senior bowl. You've got all the other all-star games. And then you've also got uh, the more of the pre-draft process with the combine and uh, and all that fun stuff. So there's a lot that's going to change with this draft class between now and then. Injuries are going to take place, unfortunately. Some players are going to get hot. There's going to be risers and fallers. This is all very preliminary. It's just kind of a fun way to look at what could the Jaguars potentially do in the first three rounds of the draft if they get their quarterback. And I think we've outlined some interesting scenarios here for sure. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. I know I did, and I'm sure Jeremy did. We're going to let him get out of here. The almost newlywed is uh, just 48, 72 hours 72 away from hours, man. being crazy. a married man. So that's right. Very excited for you, Jeremy. Congrats. Everybody go show him some love at Jeremy Markoski on Twitter. And again, shout out to Bold City Brewery, the one only sponsor of the Jim Jag podcast. That's going to do it for us. Enjoy week 11 of the NFL season, and thanks for listening.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.